Good morning. It's always a joy to be able to sing with you all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, amen? Amen. Man, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. is the word of God, Galatians 6, verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. May God bless the reading of his word. On August 6th, 1930, Joseph Crater went out for dinner in Manhattan, New York. Crater was a high-ranking state judge. He was appointed to the New York Supreme Court by then-Governor Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was also well-known for political corruption, for involvement with criminals and, let's just say, various kinds of immoral activity. After that dinner, his friends later testified that they saw Crater walk down the street, hail a cab, and that is the last anyone saw of him. The case of Judge Crater is still one of the most prominent missing persons cases in the U.S. Police and investigators for years went down various trails following various clues, all to no avail. We still to this day do not know exactly what happened to Judge Joseph Crater. It could be that his debts towards criminals finally caught up to him, or his usefulness to the political machine he was a part of had expired. But there's one aspect of the investigation that particularly caught my attention. In 1931, several months after his disappearance, Judge Crater's wife was going through her dresser, and she found a couple of envelopes she had not seen before. In them, she found several thousands of dollars, as well as stock certificates, insurance policies. And finally, she found a note, a note that simply read to her, Mrs. Crater, it simply said this, I am very weary. Love, Joe. Could be a major clue. It could be a minor clue. It could be a false clue. We simply have no way of knowing said, I am very weary. Now, I'm not particularly concerned this morning that someone from our church will follow in Crater's immoral footsteps of political or legal racketeering. I'm not worried about that. I am concerned, however, that for different reasons, we are all, as Christians, in danger of growing weary. In fact, that seems to be Paul's concern here at the end of Galatians. He is concerned that Christians, in the course of living the ordinary Christian life, that they will grow weary in doing good. One of the perks of being involved in a church the size of Crossway 
is you get a, a pretty good understanding of the various ministries going on at our church. You know who does what on Sunday morning or behind the scenes. You know the various pressures or responsibilities that they face. You know what's going on. And I think if you listen closely to one another, you can actually hear and you can start to sense when they're growing weary. This passage simply dawned on me in a new light several months ago, and it's stuck with me ever since, and how it pertains to church life. You see, my concern this morning is that many of you who are a part of Crossway, you've been involved in a ministry perhaps for years, you're facing weariness. You're tired. Whatever the circumstances might be, weariness can set in for any of us. Perhaps you're here this morning, you've been serving faithfully for weeks on end, and you are just running on fumes. Or perhaps verse 9 has already become a past tense reality. You have become weary in doing good such that you've dropped out. You're no longer as involved in Christian relationships because you've been burned. You've pulled out of serving in a ministry because you're tired and burned out. And let's be honest, we all just don't want to serve in some ministry sometimes. So if that's you, let me just say this. This text speaks to you and it offers grace. This text gives you hope. This text, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, ought to grow your faith, increase your love for your Savior and your brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, such that you're encouraged and built up to do good, to jump back in in serving the church, to refocus your commitment to doing good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, my goal this morning is for you, Christian, that you would not grow weary of doing good that you would not lose heart, and that you would be all the more strengthened and encouraged to excel in doing good. And so with that in mind, how does this passage, how does it do that? What is Paul describing here? What does God want for you and I this morning to take away? First, we need to understand, what is the good being described here by Paul? What is he talking about? You'll notice in both verses, look at the passage with me. He twice speaks of doing good. One, that we wouldn't grow weary in doing good. And two, that we would do good to everyone. That's really simply the two points of this sermon, that we would not grow weary in doing good and that we would do good to everyone. What is Paul saying here? What does he mean? Well, the text actually doesn't flesh out and describe what the good is. It's the good, the good that believers are to do. It's not expressed in any precise, concrete terms. Paul simply says, do good. Now, in context, Paul has been discussing doing good to your fellow church members. Look back at verse 2. He calls us, he says that we should bear one another's burdens. That's church life. That's Christians bearing one another's burdens. It's an others-focused good. Verse 6. He's talked about supporting your pastors, your teachers, with material goods. But I don't think Paul is limiting the bill of goods, if you will, to just those two things. I think he's deliberately speaking in broad terms to make one clear principle. This is good that is done for others. This is an others-focused good. And so the question we should be asking in light of a text like this, is there any good that we can do for others? I don't know about you, but that's a broad good. That's a lot. I think Paul is being intentionally broad. He's wanting us to take this general principle that must be obeyed and work it out in our concrete, specific circumstances and situations. 
I would just say this morning, giving the varieties of people and lives that we have here as a church, it's impossible to draft up an exhaustive list. But I want you to consider, think about this. Consider this morning, what is the good that the Lord would have you to do? What is the good that the Lord would have you to do? And whatever that good may be, this text presents to us in crystal clear language one plain proposition. You and I are apt to grow weary in doing good. You and I are apt to grow weary in doing good. This is not uncommon. Nor is this to be unexpected that in the course of running the Christian race, you and I grow tired. We start to say things like, man, I simply don't really feel like doing this anymore. This is hard work. This is difficult. I'm getting really tired. I'm not even sure if the good thing I'm doing is having the desired effect. Paul uses two different words in verse 9 to describe this weariness that can set in. The first has to deal more with an internal weariness. An internal weariness. It's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as lose heart. To lose motivation, to lose desire, to, be so, to become so discouraged that you actually even stop. The other word deals more with an external weariness. Not only internal, but external. You give up physically. In the Gospels, it refers to someone literally fainting from physical exhaustion. So we should, right up front, take from this text, we should expect to face growing weary in the Christian life. You're not spiritually weak. You're not some taboo, odd Christian. If you become weary in serving the church, that's to be expected, but we cannot be content with weariness. We cannot stay there. And that leads us to our first point this morning. Point number one, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Yes, it's true, you're inclined to grow weary, but that doesn't mean God is okay with you staying there. No, on the contrary, the clear command of the text is that we must not grow weary of doing good. We must not grow weary, rather we must do good to everyone. We must be strengthened and built up. You see, if God's word is telling us that we must not grow weary in doing good, which it is telling us that, is this not a command from the Lord that we must obey? Let me just say this on the side. If you're here this morning, you have not trusted in Christ. You have not turned from your sins and placed your hope in our only Lord and Savior. You actually cannot obey this text. You can't do this. God has given this text for believers who have been born again by the sovereign Holy Spirit who empowers them to live a life of grace-filled obedience. That needs to be you. Listen, if you have not come to Christ, let me clearly call you this morning. Come to him. Come to him who is full of grace and truth, the one who washes our crimson stains and who clothes us in robes of righteousness by faith. Turn to him. But for those of us here who are in Christ, you're a Christian here this morning, and you're seeking to obey him. Listen clearly. This text is a command to be obeyed, not advice to be considered. Christian, you and I don't have an option here. <laughs> we must obey. 
Now, I've always found it helpful in looking at a charge like this to consider the root causes. What would lead me to not obey the Lord? What would cause me to grow weary? What would cause me to say something like, Lord, I I want to obey, but weariness truly is a struggle for me. What leads to growing weary of doing good? Why would I come to a point where I no longer desire to obey? What would lead me to no longer serve Christ's body here at Crossway? You see, if we understand the cause of weariness, we can more accurately prescribe the right remedy to solve that problem. You tracking with me? So what is the cause of your weariness? There's just a couple I was considering. Maybe one of these will resonate with you. Maybe opposition. Maybe opposition is a cause of your weariness. Certainly this is the case for many of us when it comes to the good we can and must do of sharing the gospel with our unbelieving friends and family. We grow weary, we lose heart, we lose motivation because they stand opposed to the message of Christ. They reject it as foolishness and folly. Maybe you've shared the gospel once and they metaphorically or maybe even literally spit in your face. And therefore you become discouraged, you give in, you lose heart. Perhaps fear of failure. You're hesitant to get involved because you don't want to fail. You're not sure exactly what to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to serve in this ministry. And obviously there's people more qualified than me, so I'm just not going to do that. What about others disappointing us? Maybe you've been burned a couple of times. The ministry had been going great. And a volunteer you'd been counting on drops out at the last minute. You see, one of the dangers of weariness is it can easily lead to apathy. What does it even matter anymore? Why bother? Who cares? This good ministry, eh, it doesn't even matter. Or not only apathy, another danger is it can lead to bitterness, settled frustration, even anger towards your brother and sister in Christ because they've disappointed you. Perhaps laziness in ourselves. Maybe you just don't want to do good for another person because you just don't want to. I mean, let's face it, more often than not, it's far easier for us to do what's good for ourselves rather than what's good for another person. Maybe you've tried doing good a couple of times and frankly, you just don't want to anymore. Maybe it's difficult work. Maybe it's being overworked in that difficult work. Perhaps this good ministry, this labor that you're so involved in has been so strenuous, it becomes so difficult that weariness is just ever around the corner. You're running on fumes and it's just always present that you are tired. I actually know of a fairly prominent church back east that faced this exact problem with their nursery. They'd lost workers and those that were working there were so tired that the church made an announcement. If we don't get more helpers, we're going to have to close down the nursery because the few people we have are burning out. From my understanding, they had plenty of workers the next week. Maybe that's a strategy. Like something like that we'll just have to keep in our back pocket. If any, you know, we have problems with those ministries, we'll keep that one. I say that tongue in cheek. But maybe you're overworked. You're tired. Perhaps you have misplaced expectations. Right? I thought that if I did this good, I would have a lot more joy. I thought I would feel good in doing this afterwards. I thought someone would notice me and say thank you. One commentator said, one of the greatest frustrations 
in the Christian ministry and a principal cause for weariness is the inability to calculate the spiritual outcome of faithfulness in the work of the Lord. We're so focused on tangible results. And when those go unmet, we're disappointed. We grow weary. Perhaps you have expectations that aren't met. You lose heart, as Paul says. Finally, though, I'm convinced that most of our weariness in doing good comes from one thing. And that comes from us failing to go to God for grace. We fail to go to God for grace. You cannot get out of a person what is not in him. If he doesn't have grace abounding in him, you're not going to get it out of him. I believe the great majority of our weariness comes from us seeking to go on in the Christian life in our own strength. We become confident in our own abilities. We cease to pray. We spend less time in God's word because we think we can do this in and of ourselves. And we simply forget our daily need of the God of all grace. Certainly there could be other causes. Maybe one of those resonated with you. Well, so what? What do you do? Well, we consider the causes not just to consider causes. We consider the cause so we can prescribe the right remedy. We can fix and solve the problem. What are the, vo- the, the means of avoiding these causes? How can we not grow weary? Let me give you three. Number one, you pray for persevering grace. You pray for persevering grace. If our main cause of weariness is failing to go to God for grace, then what should we do? Go to God for grace. Go to him. What does the hymn say? All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Friends, that includes the grace you need for today. Ask that the Lord would give you the grace and strength to do good towards others. If you seek to do good in and of yourself, you will grow weary. So go to the Lord for grace. Ask that the Lord would grow your faith, that it would be strong to trust and obey what the Lord has said. Ask that God would give you an abiding love, a continual desire to sacrificially serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that you would have a clear hope, a hope that is centered not on this life in this world, but on the life in the world to come. In other words, you need to pray that the gospel would be at work in your heart. Ask that the God of all grace would powerfully work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Number two, perhaps you need to shake off spiritual sloth. Start here. Realize that you, as a Christian, you've been called to do good. Right? This is a command to be obeyed. Like I said, this is not advice to be considered. You have to do this. At times, doing good to others is going to feel like a cross you have to carry, which, by the way, we should expect, because how does Jesus Christ define discipleship? Take up your cross and follow me. It's not going to feel wonderful all the time. Realize this. Wake up. Consider the task that is set before you. One thing I'm concerned with is that in our current culture, both in the world and in the church, amongst us, myself included, is we live so much based on subjective feelings. I mean, how many times do we say stuff like this? Man, I'm just not feeling it. Just me? I don't know. It's just me. 
I'm not feeling it. Maybe the sparks weren't there, whatever that means. If you have that mindset regarding doing goods to one another, you can bet you're going to grow weary before you even start. You see, the problem with that disposition, though, is that we're not called to live by feelings. We're called to live by faith. Do you believe and trust that God has called you to do good? Yes. Then, brothers and sisters, our feelings don't really matter at all. The question is, will we obey? So know and consider the cost. Know what Christ has called you to do. Pray for persevering grace. Shake off spiritual sloth. Third, develop a determined conviction to do good. Develop a determined conviction to do good. What do I mean by that? Well, my wife's side of the family has been farmers for years. Long, long time. Technology has certainly made farming easier today, but it wasn't always like that. All right, back in the day, you're waking up before dawn. You're doing all the chores, you know, milking the cow, feeding the livestock, getting your tools ready for the day. And then you actually go out and the day begins. Then you're out in the sun, plowing a field, planting seed, fixing whatever is broken. All until the sun goes down, and then you go back in, you go to bed, and guess what? You wake up the next day and you do the exact same thing. And you do that the next day, and the next day, and then actually even the next day. If you were to ask that farmer, let's just say in 1885, if you were to ask him, do you enjoy what you're doing? I really don't know how he would respond. I mean, I could see him saying something like, well, I enjoy putting food on the table for my family. Or if you were to ask him, you know, a question we ask always, how does that make you feel? How do you feel as a farmer? I think you're just going to get a blank stare and he's just going to say, tired. But you see, what that farmer has is a plodding, faithful attitude that is disappearing, certainly in our culture, and it certainly affects us as well. That farmer knows this. I do this because it needs to get done. It is good for me to do this. My feelings are irrelevant. My family depends on me doing this good work, therefore I'm going to do this good work. Friends, that is the exact same mentality we need as a church. I do good to my brothers and sisters at Crossway because it's what needs to be done. The church needs workers. We need help. And therefore, I will do that task. So develop a focused, a plodding, continual conviction where you step in and do the good task that is set before you because God has called you to do it and it's the right thing to do. Set your hand to the plow and go to work doing good for the glory of God and the good of your brothers and sisters. So we consider the cause, we find the right remedy, we press on, let us not grow weary in doing good. Point number two, let us do good. Let us do good. Rather than losing heart, such that we cease doing good, Paul calls us to what? Do good. We must do good. And notice what he says next. I love this. As we have opportunity. Let's make one thing very clear this morning. We have opportunity. 
we have opportunity to do good. In fact, let me just mention the opportunities available at our church on a typical Sunday morning like today. We need 12 workers in the nursery, seven or so for the music team, a couple of men doing security, someone to lock up the buildings, six teachers and helpers during equipping hour, another eight or so kids, teachers and helpers during the main service, people to prepare communion and Crossway Cafe, counters, greeters, ushers. We need volunteers for the nursery on Sunday evening, youth group teachers and helpers, little theologians, teachers and helpers, and that's not even mentioning all the work and labor that takes place on this campus behind the scenes throughout the week, including the people coming on Sunday, Saturday morning to clean the church. Brothers and sisters, Apart from you all doing the good work of the ministry, this doesn't happen. We need you. If you have ever thought, ah, the church doesn't really need me, please hear this very clearly. Yes, we do. We do need you. Presently, today, in the here and now, day in and day out, the church needs you to do the work of the ministry. What is that good work? What should you do? Well, I've certainly hinted at it already. Let me just further specify the responsibility of good we have to do, because it's what Paul does in verse 10. There's two things. The responsibility of good we have to do first towards everyone, and then number two, towards the church. The good we are required to do first towards everyone, and then more specifically towards the church. Look at what he says first, towards everyone. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Did you notice any limit to that command? No, there is none. It's really interesting. In fact, the Greek word for everyone, it means everyone. Everyone. Now, in context, clearly the emphasis of the everyone is on unbelievers, right? Because he specifies, next, towards the church. If you have the opportunity to do good to someone, you should take that opportunity. I mean, Paul's point is similar to the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys remember that in Luke, right? The question to ask is not, who is my neighbor? The question to ask is, who can I be a neighbor to? What opportunities has the Lord given you to do good? Who can you do good to? What are some of those? Just consider some of these. Maybe it's helping your neighbor with some tangible task, like their yard work, or helping them bring in their groceries, or maybe even paying for their groceries. I would argue from this text that you should have a totally clear conscience in financially giving to organizations that do good. You can give to places and uh, organizations that promote humanitarian aid, the Red Cross, Samaritan's Purse, Children's Hunger Fund. That is part of you doing good to everyone. You can do that. Perhaps it's simply going out of your way to be there for an unbelieving friend, an unbelieving coworker, praying for them. I would just say this, don't miss this one. Share the gospel with them. I mean, that is the greatest good that we can do for unbelievers, is it not? Share the gospel with them. Don't help your neighbors or friends for years and never share the gospel with them. Show them the love of Christ. If you truly love and care about someone, give them the message that is going to save their soul from eternal death. There's so much good 
that we can do for everyone. But notice what Paul does in verse 10. I find this very helpful. He says, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see that there in the text? I mean, you may have noticed, hopefully, in the sermon so far, I've placed a particular emphasis or stress on your responsibility to do good to the church. Why do I do that? Because that's exactly what Paul does in this passage. Yes, you have a responsibility to do good to everyone, but in a particular, distinct, in a specific manner, you have an even greater calling to do good to the household of faith. Well, who is that? Who is in the household of faith? Paul uses language here of a close-knitted family. He's talking about a family unit, tight-knit, a household of the Christian faith. He's not just talking about faith in general, any belief. He's talking about the Christian church. He's talking about believers that have come together because they've been incorporated into Christ, they've been united to him by faith, and therefore, they express that by being a part of a local church. That's what he's talking about. A church, just like Crossway Baptist. He's saying, Christian, you have a particular calling to do good to your brothers and sisters right here this morning. Look around. This is who you have a particular responsibility to do good to. You see, a text like this is why we believe local church membership is not only helpful, it's actually biblical. We have to in some way know who is in that household of faith. Because as such, we have a particular responsibility from God to do good to them. Yes, we need to do good to everyone, but... If a person has professed faith in Christ through baptism, they've given us testimony of the Lord's work in their life. They've come forward for assistance and accountability in the Christian life through church membership. Then we have a particular responsibility, a calling from God to love, care for, and do good to that person. Well, what does that look like? What are some particular goods you can do for your brothers and sisters here at Crossway? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have three. There's certainly more. Number one, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Sometimes I know, we are guilty, myself included, of saying or thinking something like this. Hey, I'll pray for you. It's the least I can do. Really? Prayer is the least you can do? <laughs> we so easily undervalue prayer. In prayer, we are going to the eternal God of the universe, of whom Psalm 84:11 says, "No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly." Romans 8:32 says, "If God did not spare his own son, which he did not, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things?" You see, our God sits in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases, but yet in amazing grace, he has condescended to us, and he actually hears our prayers, and he says things like, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. 
Brothers and sisters, please pray for one another. Pray that God would continue to work in his people. Pray that your brothers and sisters would walk in a manner worthy to that which they've been called. Pray that they would bear fruit in every good work and be fully pleasing to God. Pray that they would be strengthened to do the work of ministry. Pray that they would have joy in the labor of that ministry. Pray that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And also pray that they would not grow weary in doing good. Pray for them. Number two, encourage one another. Oh, this is so important. Encourage one another. I'm always struck by 1 Thessalonians 5.11. I love 1 Thessalonians as a whole, but after spending this whole letter encouraging the church, Paul has just been so encouraged himself by the good work going on in Thessalonica. He is encouraging them. He ends in chapter 5, verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hey, you're doing a really great job and you should be encouraged that you're doing a really good job. And while you're doing a really good job, encourage one another to keep doing a really good job. Encourage one another. Church, if you see something, say something. I'm not talking about flattery here. I'm not talking about saying something just to puff someone else up. I am saying that when you see the grace of God at work in someone, such that they're doing good for someone else to bring God glory, say something. You can say to the nursery worker who is sacrificing their time on Sunday morning watching your kids when they would much rather be in here, say thank you. You are doing good to the household of faith. Thank you. Keep going. Don't lose heart. You can say to the kids teacher who every week is taking time out of their schedule to spend time again with your children, not just to babysit them. That would be great. They're actually sharing the gospel with them. Say thank you. Thank you for taking time to open God's word to my children. Or to the single parent who's waking up early, bringing their kids to church when it would be far easier to sleep in. Tell them thank you. Thank you for being here. You're an encouragement to me, just seeing you. You're an example of persistent faithfulness, even when times are difficult. You see, we never know. The Lord could sovereignly use your words of thankfulness and encouragement in someone who is just about to give up and grow weary. You might be the good grace of God in their life such that they don't grow weary. Church, we ought to be a community where true words of love and encouragement are pervasive. Let me just even now personally, I'm not going to start naming names because there's just too many of you. You know who you are. Thank you. Keep going. Thank you for the good work that you have done. You're an encouragement even to me. Thank you for your labor. Keep going. I don't know why when Mike was reading the list of prayers or just thinking of the names, I'm so thankful for our church. Each and every one of you. Keep going. Encourage one another. Brothers and sisters, if you see something, say something. 
Number three, serve one another. Serve one another. In the words of the famous Uncle Sam poster, we want you. Actually, let me just alter that biblically. We need you. We always need help as a church. You have ample opportunity to obey this command right here in the context of Crossway Baptist Church. We need you to help clean. We need you to help pray for one another. We need you to encourage one another. We need help with our kids, with youth ministry, nursery. There is no shortage of opportunities. Jump in and do good for the glory of God and the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do this? Let me end with three motivations. Three reasons why you should do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Three motivations. Number one, because it's commanded by God. This is a matter of obedience or disobedience. God has called you to do good to everyone, and especially the household of faith, his church. Ask yourself, how are you doing? How am I doing in that? There are many of you, the vast majority, that this should encourage you. You're plugged in. You're serving the Lord. You're walking in grace-filled obedience. Amen. Keep going. You are an encouragement to me and so many others. Keep going. But for a church this large, perhaps some of you need to do some honest examining and see how you can do good for the church. Am I really prioritizing the work of the church to the best of my abilities? Are you truly taking advantage of all the opportunities the Lord has given you? Not only is it commanded by God, this is an act of worship. Our sacrificial serving reveals our valuation of God. What does it say about how we value God if we do good to his people once every fifth month when it fits our schedule. May that not be our attitude. As we have opportunity, by the grace of God that is empowering us to live lives of obedience, let us strive to do good. Number two, another motivation, because you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or you ought to. You see, doing good to your household of faith is a fruit of the gospel. If we rightly understand what Christ has done for us, how he has paid it all, and all to him I owe, how can we not sacrificially love and do good to one another right here? I mean, what better way to proactively demonstrate love to the members of your spiritual household of faith than to serve them. Help with with watching their kids. Pray for them. Bring a meal to them. Read scripture with them. Encourage them by asking genuine questions and then listen to them and respond with grace and truth. Love your brothers and sisters by serving them practically. Finally, number three. The final motivation I think this ought to be at the forefront of our minds because of eternal rewards. 
You see, not only is this a command to do good, it's actually in our best interest to do good. You'll notice back in verse 9, what does Paul say? Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up. Paul's not mainly talking about prosperity in this life now. He's speaking of reaping in the life to come. The context in verses 7 and 8 make it clear. If you sow to sin, if you sow to the flesh, you are going to reap sorrow, corruption, and eventually eternal destruction. But if you sow to the Spirit, if you live a life of grace-filled obedience and doing good to one another, you will inherit joy, blessing, and eternal life. Paul adds in 1 Corinthians 3 that our work for the Lord will someday be revealed. The good that we have done. And he uses language that for some, on that day of judgment, our good will be like wood and hay which burns. But yet for others, it will be gold and jewels that is refined and is worth even more. I believe that our value of gold and jewels and what we ascribe as gold and jewels in this life is going to be very different when we get to heaven. I think we value many things that will turn out to be wood and hay. And there are going to be saints who in this life did not catch our attention. They weren't out there in public. We didn't even really know what they were doing. But the good that they did for the household of faith is going to be revealed to be gold and precious stones. You could say Paul wants us to realize that the good we do in this life for the Lord echoes in eternity. So serve the church because the Lord calls you to it. Serve the church because you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And serve the church because it's even in your best eternal interest. Keep going. Do not lose heart. Press on in doing good. Pastor H.B. Charles once told a story when he was at a preacher's conference. He was going to preach at this conference along with another well-known preacher. And he asked this preacher, he said, how do you get ready? How do you prepare for preaching at a place like this with a bunch of other pastors? You know, they know the text, they know the ins and outs, they know all the jokes you're going to say, all this stuff. Do you come at it with a different angle? You know, how, how do you approach preaching to a bunch of pastors? The pastor replied very well. He said, I just preach to an audience of one. May that be the same principle we have when it comes to doing good to everyone, especially the household of faith. I just serve for an audience of one. Church, take heart. Your ministry of doing good for the household of faith might not be seen by many, but you can take it to the bank that it is seen by one. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who have the household of faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear that we can know it, we can understand it. Lord, please help us to heed it. Lord, help us to obey. Lord, a text like this, in so many ways, is so encouraging and also can be convicting. Lord, do not let us lose heart. Lord, let us press on that we would do your will. Lord, that we would do good for the cause of Christ, for your glory, and for the good of our neighbors. Lord, we ask that you would save them. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do good to the household of faith. We do it for your glory. Lord, we ask all this in your name. Amen.